Hello and welcome to episode 82 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can find me on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm very good. It's been another very wet day here in Sydney, so uh, kind of interesting how much rain we're getting, but let's power through it. Yeah, it's been a, a big day too in Sydney because um, Sam Burgess has proven mm. that he's not just a dope on the field, he's one off it. Jeez, <laughs> oh, you're right into it. <laughs> uh, it's been a big day. Mm. <laughs> um, so this could get entertaining. Mm. Um, Sam Burgess is in strife over his comment about the NRL judiciary being a kangaroo court. Uh, his comment was, everyone seems to be in uproar about the judiciary system. Who is making the calls here? Is there a discussion before these calls go out there? I don't know. What's the process? It's like a kangaroo court in there. Now, Todd Greenberg was not happy. And he said, on face value, Sam's comments about the judiciary breach our code of conduct and are offensive to both the chairman and members of the panel who carry out their duties impartially without fear or favour. We take a pragmatic view about most of the debate that occurs around the game. However, the NRL judiciary is a long-standing and independent process based on the principles of natural justice in our court system. Our chair is an esteemed judge of the highest calibre and our panel members are former high-profile players who are independent from clubs. The integrity of the system and the people in it should never be questioned. Yeah, and I th- I don't think Sam Burgess understands how close he probably was to saying something that could have got him sued. Um, the the thing that people don't understand about the NRL judiciary itself is that it, when the when the NRL was formed out of News Limited and then the Super League and the ARL, it was lawyers all over the place. They'd been in court for years and years and years. And the thing people forget sometimes is that when the NRL was formed, it was basically formed with lawyers and lawyers made sure there a lot of the um, loopholes and stuff weren't there. And one of the things about the judiciary system that we have now in terms of the points gradings, how much you get, I mean, you know what you're getting charged with, you know what your penalty will be, you know that you can get a discount if you plead guilty there's no surprise evidence. Like, there's no surprises in it, and you get to have legal representation. And that all comes out of the fact that the NRL was set up by lawyers and was actually run by a lawyer for, for a very, very long time. And so the judiciary process now, it's not just a bunch of old footy players that are, sit down and look at the video and say, oh, I reckon he deserves six weeks for that. It is very, very far from that process. And we actually saw a number of years ago that uh, Craig Bellamy said something that judiciary members felt um, undermined their integrity and questioned their integrity. And he had to have a... They took him to court and he had to pay them out for damages. So I think Sam Burgess has probably just stopped short of that, um, hopefully for his sake. But to say that he doesn't know how the process happens and everything, that's just got to be ignorance because... The process is very, very well set out and has been for a long, long time before Sam Burgess was playing in the NRL. And it's not like this is the first time he's been to the judiciary, so I'm fairly certain that if he doesn't know it by now, then he is dumber than we think he is. 
Either that or he's really poorly informed. And and it's a possibility, right? Because I could see where a football player just get, they feel as though they're just being dragged along through with the system because they get legal representation and they sort of, for the most part, the lawyer will speak on their behalf and, and things like that. And they feel as though they're just getting dragged through this this process and at the end of it, they're told what they're getting banned for or if they're getting let off. And they maybe don't understand what just happened. But it, what he implied was that there is no process and that these things are just made up on the fly and it just isn't that. No, and look, He's been to the judiciary, uh, judiciary 16 times in the last 10 years since he's been here and three times this year. That's so amazing. I can't... I, I get what you're saying, and I think it's right for most players, but for Sam, I just can't see, see how it can be. He's had more than enough trips there to understand how the system works, more than anybody else. Yeah, that's a good point. 16 times he should know. <laughs> I don't think he can cite ignorance anymore. Um, now, this, this kangaroo court thing, okay... A lot of people just think that means that he just thinks that they're all crazy and it's just erratic. It's mm. actually quite a bit more serious than that because um, a basic definition of the term means an unofficial court, which it's not, held by a group of people in order to try someone regarded, generally without good evidence, which is also wrong because they use video footage, mm-hmm. as guilty of a crime or misdemeanor. Now, they're not trying to prove him guilty. Yeah. The idea is you've been charged. That wasn't done by the um, judiciary. It was done by the Mass Review Committee. Look at mm-hmm. it as you do in normal science, like the police giving you a ticket, and then you go to court and you, you get your chance to have your say there and debate it there. That's essentially how the system works. Yeah. And, and the thing is, too, people have had a go at what the Match Review Committee um, charges players with, and they feel as though that that charge automatically goes straight towards the judiciary and that it's just like, well, it's, you know, it's kind of rubber stamped by the time it gets there. If you are charged by the match review committee with something and you feel as though they've charged you harshly or they've charged you uh, wrongly, I guess for lack of a better term, um, you have the ability to fight that charge in front of the judiciary to go for downgrades and to beat the charge. You know, it's not like you go there and they put you in front of a firing squad. It's not like it's, you know, uh, just uh, you turn up and, you know, it doesn't matter what you say or do that you're going to get suspended. You have the ability to fight the charge and put forward any evidence you can put forward. And so I don't think when people blame the match review committee, I find it a little bit strange yeah, the match review committee is basically given out a guideline as to what they think the charge should be. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the judiciary and that's where you can state your case. That's where you can argue about things. That's where you can have a lawyer to do all that fancy work for you if you don't think you're good enough for it. There's no excuses to have any complaints after you've been to the judiciary. You've, no, that's, that's where you've had your chance to have your say. Yeah, and I mean, how often do we see someone go to the judiciary and they get charged with something and they get um, they get suspended for something and you look at it and you go, well, they were completely wrong about that. Like, it's very, very rare. Yeah, so 
in regards to this kangaroo court thing, okay, it's not an unofficial court. It's an official system within the NRL. They've got an official legal person as chair there. That's as official as it gets. Mm-hmm. There's nothing um, untoward about how it's done. That you do require evidence, mm-hmm. and the evidence is usually video, so we can all see what's going on, which means it's also over a long period of time, so it's also in context. And the the person who's been charged has a right to defend themselves. They've got a right to have legal representation there. There is nothing kangaroo court like this in any way whatsoever. And Sam Burgess is completely 100% wrong by calling them that. It's He's gone very close to being defamatory towards them because he's he's attacking the integrity of those people on that on that system. Mm. He's yeah. He's going to get a bit more than wrap over the knuckles for this. Like he'll he probably won't get a suspension, but they'll have a very strong word with him and say, "You need to go out and probably apologise for what you've said. Yeah, um, take everything back, and we are going to give you a fine. They'll probably not disclose how much it is, but I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some sort of punishment over this." Because you can't I, I be going around saying she loves Yeah, and it, like, I really, I mean, and it's up, to, you know what? It's up to the judiciary members whether they take it that extra step and, and decide for themselves that, you know, I feel like I've de- been defamed. Um, and I hope that that doesn't happen for Sam Burgess's, you know, it, because that's not a nice process. Um but I feel as though he might be he might be lucky if he just has to pay a whack of a fine. Like if yeah. they fine him twenty thousand, if they fine him fifty thousand dollars, I think he should feel a little bit lucky if that's all this comes to. Um you know, I I know you would remember the days when a player would go to the judiciary before the NRL was formed and they you would have legal challenges like players would challenge the 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 thing in in court like they challenged their suspensions if it was a big game in court and they no one really knew what was going to happen when that would happen when they go to court these days i mean when was the last time a player got a suspension overturned on appeal like it's been a very very long time and it's because yeah. the system is pretty much ironclad i mean that when they set it up they there are some things that you can say in rugby league that have been stuffed up by administrators and stuff. Man, the judiciary process, for the most part, they have nailed. Yeah, it's it's as fair as it possibly can be. There's no way you can make it any fairer than it is. Yeah. There's, there's gradings, which means, and they grade it straight away, which means you've, if you've got a legal team, they can then sit down and go, right, let's compare it with other ones that are graded the same way and see if we can argue that it's not as bad and get them downgraded, um, things like that. And more often than not, you find that that happens. They get, get them downgraded. They get players off a two- or three-week suspension down to a one-week suspension. Mm-hmm. That's a system that works. They also, if a player at times has said that they need an extra day or so to bring ev- evidence together, they've allowed that yeah. many, many times before. Um, I think the other thing that people are forgetting is that repeat offenders they normally have carryover points. And so there like there are things that maybe a, 
a first-time player might not get suspended for that if you've got a lot of carryover points, you'll get suspended for. Um, and so if you had, say, a clean skin, for instance, they might not have been suspended for pulling a player's hair. But if you've got the rap sheet that Sam Burgess has had, you know, you've yeah. got to expect that you don't have to do much to fill out your quota of 100 points and you're going to find yourself suspended. Sorry, if you want to go around sailing close to the wind, then you're going to have to accept that you're going to get suspended a few times for it. Yeah. Um, the funny thing here is that the only entity that is not an official court, is not using any evidence with their claims, is Sam Burgess. <laughs> so well, Sam Sam himself is the is a kangaroo court if if he was a if he was a court system because he's he more represents that than what the the judiciary does that he's criticizing. And it, it set off a really weird chain of events where you had a lot of South fans and a lot of Sam Burgess fans who were defending him that saying that um he didn't deserve to be suspended. But that at the same time, it's like you, you, you know, this dude pulled someone's hair in a football match. Is this the fight? Is this where you want to put the fight down here for a dude that was that pulled an opposition player's hair in a yeah. and missed? By the way, he misses the first finals game because of it, and then he does this leading into an elimination finals game. It just what? seems to me like it's. This is a whole lot of noise and problems and stuff that South Sydney really don't need. Um, and this is another thing too. A lot of people keep comparing that hair pulling drama to Martin Power's high tackle, which was on a falling player. Mm-hmm. And bear in mind, he did hit him in the head, and Tapao did get one week for that because they just they did adjudicate that it wasn't intentional. There was a degree of error from the player he hit. That was reckless as well, or clumsy, whatever the hell the word is. So I think they got that right with Martin, with Martin DePauw. Mm-hmm. That that deserved one week for that one. But they need to realise that Sam's suspension is a culmination of several unsportsmanlike acts, the previous two of which he was fined for and not suspended. One of those was the high hit on Matt Moylan, which, which knocked him out immediately. Yeah. He copped a fine for that. And you can't tell me that that was um, a lesser hit than the one that Tapao had. No. To, to me, they're practically the same. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, and I think that when you come out the other side of some, a hit like that with the fine, you send you send everyone Christmas cards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, you, you did all right. You did all right out of the process. Yeah, the fact he got off on that, has been completely forgotten because that's where he should have copped a week. If this whole process was done properly, he would have got a fine for what happened with the hair pulling. He would have copped a week for the hit on Moylan. Still works out the same. Difference is they're in a different order. And so it comes out that he's copped a week for pulling someone's hair. And people go comparing, well, how can he get one week for hair pulling compared to what Tapao did with a high tackle and going, think about it, it's three incidents rolled into one. And to be honest... He's got off pretty lightly given that one of those incidents was essentially to Powell's tackle, which knocked a player out. Plus, yeah. he's throwing the hair pulling thing, and the other one, which I think was tripping or some crap. I don't even know what it was. It was something stupid anyway. 
it's three incidents to one, and he got only one week just like to power did. So Sam's actually yeah. got off pretty bloody lightly in the end. He really has. And, you know, it's not comparing apples with apples. And that's what I think people are missing. And they're seeing, in, like I had people saying to me that um, there's inconsistencies in the judiciary. And I would point out to them that you're comparing different tackles, you're comparing different charges, you're comparing different um, players with different loading going into these these hearings. And that, so there is no inconsistency there. This, they're applying their own thoughts of what inconsistencies are. And when you explain that to people, they just are like, oh, it's still all inconsistent. And it's like, well, you know, you've really actually got to look into the process and how it's all happening. And, you know, I had people saying to me that the Match, uh, the match Review Committee and the judiciary weren't getting the job done. And I was thinking to myself, man, how often do you see a swinging arm anymore, really? You know, how often do you see uh, a bad high tackle that you think, oh, man, that's he's going to be out for five weeks? It's very, very rare these days. And you and I have talked this year how some of the grubby acts are what uh, we're seeing left over. It's almost a remnant, and maybe they need to um, bump up the penalties for those grubby acts to bring it into line with other things that we've seen in the game and that have been almost eradicated from the game. But for the most part, I mean, the the way the judiciary is now, the, the game has never, ever been cleaner. That's exactly right. Um, I think the thing that gets me too about this is the media keeps trying to defend Sam Burgess and his dumbass antics on the field by saying, oh, he's hard and tough. Would you call someone who just pulls your hair as being tough? Seriously? No, it it really honestly goes into that category of like, I can't, I don't understand why he's even thinking of that. Sam Burgess is a really good player and he's really important to Souths. I dare say he's their highest paid player. And so I don't understand why, and he's had a real disrupted season. He's had some injury issues and things like that. He had an infected shoulder at one point. Um, and I just don't understand why he's just not looking to stay on the field. And just, like all of that stuff isn't toughness. Toughness is turning up every week and playing and you're there next week and you're there the week after and you're there the week after. Like that to me is toughness in rugby league. Can I put it to you? that the only reason any player of any calibre has to resort to these sort of acts is because they're unable to use their ability to compete with their rival. So they resort to this shit, which is just a form of cheating, designed to put the opposition player off their game so as to get an advantage over them because they can't do it using their ability anymore. It's a part frustration, part being dominated by the one, and that's where it all comes from. I think that there's definitely an element of frustration that it can happen with that sort of thing. And, you know, for the most part, you might see frustration towards the end of a game where, you know, a player will hold the opposition player down and they're on the end of a, you know, a big scoreline, they'll hold them down and then there's a penalty blown and they'll push them back down on the ground, you know, and it's just these extra things that aren't needed, but it's a sign of frustration. And I do, I would say that it's more frustration than anything else. Um, 
you know, and, and South Sydney in particular have had a lot of instances of that this year, and especially in the second half of the year where they haven't travelled great. Um, and I think we've seen that some of that frustration boil over in just weird, silly incidents that just are not needed. Um, right. I think it's something that South really need to have a look at because it's costing them. It's really costing them. It is. And this is the other thing that gets me too, is that no one has come out and said to Sam, why did you pull his hair? Why do you feel the need to do that rubbish? What part of that makes sense? How is that what rugby league is about to you? How is that playing the game in a sportsmanlike manner? How does that make you tougher, aggressive? Look, no one's asking him this. They were just going, oh, Sam said that is crap. Let's all just agree with him and, talk, and do that because shitting on the NRL is easy because they rarely fight back. And yeah, the whole thing I, here is that Sam's the one who's at fault. He's the one who did this. The NRL didn't force him to pull that bloke's hair. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we, you know, there's been, I saw an article and I can't remember where it was where they were saying, oh, we need to listen to Sam Burgess on this, you know, in regards to the judiciary. And it's like, you literally want to listen to a guy who's been, who's, you know, doing these illegal acts. And then you want to hear what he thinks he should be given as a penalty for them. Like, of course he's going to say, Oh, I should have got nothing for that. You know, anyone would, um, it, it's kind of silly. And I think that, I, I think that he's going to be a little bit lucky that he didn't elaborate on what he was thinking and that he didn't get a chance to, you know, because I think that if he had said too much more, he would have been in a lot more trouble. I, I think that he might he might just have skirted that line that that takes it to that next level. Um, and I think it's a real warning sign for players. Like, I understand it's a game, and we all do this for fun. And look, none of this really matters in the grand scheme of things, right? But I, I, I would just hate to see a player say something they hadn't thought out all that well or, or something, or talk about an area of the game that maybe they don't understand all that well, and find themselves in legal trouble because of it. Because it's, it'd be just horrible. It'd be horrible to go through. It would be, and they shouldn't be. Do, I mean, let's be honest. Okay, we all know that if you say something bad about the referee, you're going to get a fine. Mm-hmm. That system should just be in place for the match review committee and the judiciary as well, because why is it any different? It's all a part of the laws of the game. It's part of the people who protect the laws of the game, the integrity of the game. So it should just extend to all of that as well. Yeah, I I, I mean, you you go to a referee, you swear at a referee, he'll send you. Yeah, you know, and, and, and right, rightfully so. Yeah, like just I don't think anybody's going to say that any other thing should be in place for that. I mean, you mouth off at the referee, go, go sit down and have a think about it. Um, and I guess that that carries through to, to the judiciary. Um, and I, I wonder how much it carries through to the game, the games administrators. Like I wonder if Sam Burgess or any player, I won't even say Sam, but say any player said, for instance, oh, I think Todd Greenberg is doing a terrible job and blah, blah, blah. I wonder if that would incur fines or suspensions in itself. Um, you I'd know, say it, no. I'd say no. I think I, that should I, be... I, think, I agree. I think that should be fully allowed because the one thing we can't have is the officiating of the game. That mm-hmm. includes penalties handed down by the judiciary. They're mm-hmm. all part of the officials that police the game. They should not be questioned like this. 
you can people can have their arguments about how you know they might say look the judiciary has been inconsistent this year I'm mm-hmm. not happy with the result I've got but to call it a kangaroo court that is going next level yeah that's in, that's implying that there's some sort of dodgy shenanigans going on there and that's yeah. that's horribly wrong you cannot be doing it. you're you're implying that they're cheating you in some way that's I had wrong. people I had people on Twitter saying to me today that like the, there's a bias there and I was like, do you really think that your club is that special that there are people within this process that are thinking, oh, let's get them, you know? And they would say, well, it's not just against us, it's get against every club. And so and so I was like, well, so they're inconsistently consistent. Is that what you're saying? Because that's consistency, <laughs> you know? And yeah. it was just the very, very weird sort of arguments that were being put forward, uh, like... I I know that we've seen before the this whole process has been explained in the past in the media. Um, I think we're not seeing that happen now because of the reactionary shit that we see from the media these days. And I, I hate to say it, but I wonder if maybe Graham Annesley needs to do a, a PowerPoint presentation explaining how this whole system works. It, no, he uh, just do what explain how how they got it wrong all the time. Yeah, probably. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Um, but yeah, I I I think maybe there's a lot of people that don't understand it, and they hear people in the media saying, "Oh, it's all inconsistent," and they just make this stuff up, and it's like, no, it, it really isn't. Like, I'd be the first person if something's really out of whack. I'll be the first person to say, this is weird. I don't like what's going on and I'll explain why. But I've, I mean, this season, the only things that I've really seen that I felt uh, I haven't liked is that when we've seen eye gouging, we've seen a number of eye gouging incidents. I think that they should have higher grades. And that's something that you can't really do mid season. That's something you have to do um, in the off season because You've got to allow due process to all these players. It The system that's in place at the start of the year kind of has to be in place throughout the season so that Agreed. players know what's coming up, what their charges will be, and it's not a moving target during the year. That's correct. Um, so I just want to go through his um, 2019 rap sheet okay. just so people know that it's not just hair pulling he's been pinged for. Okay, It's all three of these incidents. So... In round 13, he he got a grade one contrary conduct charge and he accepted a $1,350 fine, which included loading. Seven weeks later, he got a careless high tackle charge, which was the hit on Moylan. Mm-hmm. Um, that was originally graded as a grade two. He successfully got a downgrade the judiciary to a grade one, which meant that he only got a $1,900 fine. Which means he got due process. Yes. It means he you got know. benefit out of the judiciary system. Yes. And then round 25, only five weeks later, contrary conduct, ineligible for a fine because he's already had two fines. His fine was changed to 100 points, which equals the suspension as well as loading. So even if he put in an early guilty plea, it only comes back down to 100 points, automatically one week suspended. Mm-hmm. He'd done all that himself. Yeah, no one else to blame. You know, no one was trying to get him. It just, that's... he he did those things and he they went through a process and he was found guilty yep so my 
the only question I've got here, it's not even with the judiciary. It's the it's the weird crap that the NRL did this year. Because I think last year there was talk about how it was wrong that some players were going to get suspended because of mediocre tripping charges and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. they said, you know what, for, for light charges like that where it's obviously they did something wrong, but it wasn't a serious thing where it, it hampered someone's health and well-being and stuff like that. It was just a little grubby incident. Um, why don't we just give them a fine instead so that when it comes around to finals times, if they do this sort of stuff, they still get punished, but we don't lose them from the game. Yeah. And everyone went, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And they said, okay, you get three chances. Well, you get two chances. Then the third time you get a suspension. Mm-hmm. There was no criticism of this, no debate about it in the offseason whatsoever. Everyone's gone, yeah. that sounds like a good idea. Mm-hmm. And then it quickly turned out to be a bad idea because um, Josh McGuire got off an eye-raking charge early in the season because Cameron Munster opted against issuing a complaint. Mm-hmm. But he just got a fine for that. A few weeks later, he again had his hand on, I think it was on David Fafita's head. His fingers were around the, the top half of his face. Um, didn't get suspended. And I think if he had have been suspended the first time with Munster, which was clearly raking at the eyes, if he had have been suspended, then maybe he wouldn't have done it the second time on, on Fafita. Mm. This is a problem here. And then we had... Shortly after that, Hudson Young got a five-week suspension for an eye gouge. Five weeks. And then he comes back and does it again and cops eight weeks. What we're learning here is that, A, the fines don't work. Five weeks is not long enough for someone who's been found guilty of eye gouging because they they did it again. Yeah. So our baseline now is if you've been found guilty of eye gouging, the minimum right now is eight weeks. We don't even know if eight weeks is effective. We're not going to find out until Hudson Young comes back. If he gadges again, then they need to double that and go, right, at what point does the message sink in? Because whatever it is, that's going to be the benchmark. Yeah, look, I I have been one person that doesn't like fines. And there's, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, I think that the size of these fines that they hand out is kind of laughable. It's like, you know, it's like finding somebody 50 bucks, you know, it's, it's just silly. They, they wouldn't even feel it. Right. Let's put it um, this way. Okay. If Sam Burgess is on, let's, let's guess. Okay. He's on 800 grand a year. Yeah. Let's be that. And that's conservative. Like right. he didn't come back from rugby, rugby union for 800,000, but let's say he's on 800,000. Yeah. He's on 800 grand. Okay. That's $15,300 a week. Hmm. So when he gets a $1,300 fine, that's less than 10% of his pay for the week. For the week. That's less than a day's pay. Yeah. Just let that sink in as to how pathetic that fine is. That is not even a slap on the wrist. That's just an angry letter. Don't do this again. You would pay, I would suggest that when they get the lawyers in to do the judiciary on the player's behalf, that they pay more for the lawyer. Well, that's true too. I'd say if they're going to, if they want to go through with this fine system, mm. then they should be looking at bare minimum of $10,000 for a fine. Because yeah, if, I, you, if you want to hit players where it hurts and you need to mm. start tacking them for at least a week's pay. Or it needs to be aligned to their, 
their salary. Like well, maybe yeah. it's a percentage or um, 80% a percentage of, of what salary. they earn per game. Something like that. I know yeah. they don't get paid per game these days, but maybe they can say, look, you're getting $800,000 a year and we cut that down to you get X number of dollars per 26 rounds or 25 rounds or whatever, and then we take a percentage of what you get from a game. And so that allows for if you've got a player on a minimum wage, they don't, you know, because $10,000 yeah. fine for someone on a minimum wage, is a it's a fair whack. No, that's fair enough. I, so you can probably make it like 75 or 80% of their one-game salary or one-week yeah. salary. For, yeah, you know, days per year, I'm, I'd be fine with that. It needs to be more than what it is because it's not having any impact. Oh, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. I mean, you know, a thousand bucks. It's just silly. It's kind of silly. I have always taken the piss out of the fines that they have over in England. That some of the fines that they hand out in England are just as laughable. Um, and I, that's why I didn't like the fine system coming in over here. I, I just think that if you do something in a game, um, just just cop it. Yeah. The other thing they need to do is they need to make sure that these fines are not dished out when someone's been charged with a high tackle or a careless tackle or anything like that because that's what the suspension system's for. And if they had done that, Sam would have copped a suspension for his tackle on Moylan and a fine for the hair pulling. <clears throat> Well, I I think that fines should be for things that are like, and this is going to sound funny, but remember when James Graham put all of that Vaseline on his legs? Yeah. That should have been a fine. Yeah. You know, fines should be for those sort of weird things where it's like, look, you don't deserve a suspension, but there's a fine just for doing something a bit stupid. You know, yeah. hair pulling. I'm fine with a, a fine for hair pulling, right? Um, but as you say, the problem for Sam was that he'd already used up the amount of fines that you can get for a maximum in a year, and so it went to being points instead of the fine. But th- those sorts of weird things, I wouldn't have eye gouging as a fine. I wouldn't exactly. have I wouldn't have high tackles as fines. Exactly. Um, I, I'm trying to think of other weird incidents like. I don't know, maybe say there's a a player that's injured and on the ground and another player goes over and sort of yells down in their face or something, which, I, look, I don't really have too much of an issue with, it, depending on the situation. But well, just maybe if they find, try and pick them up when they've been knocked out or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Like in an aggressive manner. Exactly. It's the, yeah. It should, fine should be for those weird situations, and yeah. I don't think they should be for pretty straightforward situations, I guess what I'm trying to say. And that's why I'm finding it hard to think of situations where I'd be happy with fines to be in place because it's for those really weird-ass moments, you know? Yeah, Um, well, you look at it and you say, you know what, this doesn't actually deserve one-week suspension, mm. but at the same time, you need to be punished because we don't need this crap in the game either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like like the the tripping stuff that went on. Um, You could use it for any player who decides to go out there and put their hand on another player's face. There's never a need for that. So just see, go, no, bang, there you go. You can, you can have a fine. But see, no I, loading. I disagree. I would not, I would have that just straight to the judiciary as well. But th- this is the cool thing. Like, and this is something that I think is a problem with this discussion. 
everyone's ideas are different about what should be just a fine and what shouldn't be a fine. And then when you get to a situation where people are looking at this thing in isolation with Sam Burgess where he put the guy's hair and there are plenty of people that are like, well, that should just be fine. They're not being explained to them why it's not a fine. That No, I agree with that. That That's a big issue here. But the thing is, I don't even know if the NRL needs to be explaining this stuff to the public. There's this weird entitlement that the public feels like they need to know exactly how everything runs all the time, and I don't see why. I think, furthermore, despite that, the NRL has already explained how this system worked. If the public aren't going to take yeah. the initiative to go and find this out for themselves, but just take the the word of idiot journalists as gospel, and they're not going to tell you the facts all the time. They're going to tell you whatever it is to get you to click on their article, which means they're yeah. more often than not are going to say, oh, the judiciary is inconsistent, blah, 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 blah. Of course people are going to read and go, well, if, it's, if they say it's inconsistent and they're a professional, then it must be. Yeah, but that's the thing, like... For the vast majority of people, they don't pay as close attention to the game as, as like you and me do, right? And that's cool. Like you're going to have all sorts of different levels of support, <clears throat> but and and so a lot of people do get their information from journalists. And the problem is, the, the vast majority of rugby league journalists are just absolute trash, or they they get their um their gauge on what's happening in the game from commentators. And there are a lot of commentators that are at the same trashy level as journalists now, unfortunately. You know, I wish that people were listening to Billy Slater more than, say, Phil Gould, who was just, uh, he's just turned into this, you know. Old man who yells at clouds. Yeah, it's it's kind of sad that the analyst that Phil Gould used to be has turned into, like, it's like he's doing a parody of what he feels as though people think that he would be, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's very sad to me. Um, but, yeah, I, I, that's why the NRL needs to get in the front foot, in my opinion. They need to put up videos on YouTube, if they haven't already, explaining the judiciary process, and, like, make, make a quick one, make a really long one. If you've got to follow through the whole process with the play that's charged, like show what happens through the whole thing for them, do that. I'd know I'd watch it and I know what the system is. And so you're able to put that forward. And like if Graham Annesley can come out and say, hey, you know all these journalists that are saying that there's that we haven't got a process, they're wrong. And I'm going to tell you why right now. Put his, take his focus off of the referees and put it onto the media and really explain to people what's in place at the NRL. That would be fantastic. It would be. Would it be worthwhile televising each judicial hearing for the fans to see? You know like, what? Put it up I, on the NRL website. Yeah, it'd have... Oh, man. I wonder if there would be a legal reason not to do that. Oh, there, there probably would be. Yeah. But, That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, it would. I think people would be absolutely shocked at how boring some of them can turn into, and they'd be shocked at how I think a lot of players how how often and how long they sit there and don't say anything is the uh, their lawyer speaks for them. Um, what if they but, just uh, broadcast the final verdict? Because I think the problem you get to is if you broadcast the whole thing, 
you'd end up with a lot of people doing what Annesley does, and they would be dissecting yeah. every word that was said by the the judiciary and everyone in there. Oh, what did he say when he meant that? And go, it's just a slip of the tongue. Move on. Oh no, 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 but he must have meant it. Just stop it. Move on. I think that'd be the problem. Is people would be looking for a reason to then shit on the judiciary. But yeah, maybe if you it... just showed the the verdict, might be enough. I, but I wonder, even if you did that, if it would almost turn into the same reason why we don't have referees turn up at press conferences after the game, where it is, it, it's sort of, I don't know, I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's it almost, it it, it makes you um, put a focus on what um, unbiased um, officials in our game. It it sort of lets you paint something on that. Yeah, no, I, argue I think I, I don't know if I'm explaining myself no, no, well enough. I, am I? I know what you mean. You're taking something that's been sacrosanct and absolutely ironclad for a long time, mm. and by broadcasting it, you're kind of it's the same with the referee scene we're constantly going about with Graham Manersley. By mm. broadcasting it, even though you're not making any commentary to it, you're pretty much saying we have to address the fact that people think there's something going on here. Mm. And it makes the people who think there's something going on, makes them think, I need to now tune in because maybe there is something going on. And now we can analyse it further and prove it, even though they can't. And then, then it just means it's something else that everyone else can attack the NRL over. And yeah. this part of it just should not be. Just like the referee one, just should not be. Parts How the game is officiated, how it's adjudicated upon, how the penalties are handed down, does not need to be debated I agree. I agree. And I think that it's it's much cleaner when the players come out and it's like he got three weeks because it was 320 points for this, that, and he had loading and stuff like that. Um, I think that's a much cleaner process. And it, it also, I mean, the NRL would be looking at the content that it creates and what is um, good for the game and what is maybe I wouldn't say bad for the game, but maybe not not good for the game um, and can be used in a poor way by the media. Um, and that's why we've been so upset at what Annesley's doing because I think that's something that, that has been used, shown to be used by the media to attack referees. Um, and I don't like that at all, and it's just not needed. Fully agree. Um so in the end, I think fans need to start, and the media need to start accepting the referees, especially the um, judiciary, what they hand down as pretty much ironclad and not up for debate. Yes, it will be inconsistent because they're humans, and not every single incident is identical. And as you perfectly said before, loading and stuff like that is different for every single player as well. So, of course, you're going to get different suspensions. Yeah, and and the other thing is too, None of this matters if you no. don't do shit on the field, like pulling someone's hair in the last round of the competition. You know? That's the part of the argument that completely gets lost, is everyone tries to find a reason to blame someone else except the player who did this off their own bat. Mm. And yeah, this, I, I don't get it. This mentality has been creeping into the game for years. It's now rife. You've got commentators now going on about the referees all the time. You've got, you know, journalists going on about it all the time. No one is out there saying he shouldn't have done that. 
I've not seen one article where they said, oh, Sam Burgess just shouldn't have done that. He deserves getting a week for it because it's just so stupid. Everyone's going, oh, the judiciary's a mess. Just blame someone else all the time. And you wonder why you get parents abusing referees at kids' footy games. Yeah, I mean, like, we've got... Here we have a football player that pulled another man's hair during a game. And some people are reacting with, well, the whole judiciary system's broken. We've got to tear it down and rebuild it. It's like, no, stop pulling hair. Yeah, seriously. It's so simple. It is. It's called sportsmanship. Just play the game. Yeah, just go out and play footy. Now, if Sam Burgess just simplified his game, went out and just cut out the crap, you know, I understand if you make, if accidents happen, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone's going out there to to think to themselves, you know what, I'm going to put one on this guy's chin. I'm going to do this. I don't think that players do that anymore. But, you know, all of the stupid extra little things, there's just no need for it. And it, the fact of the matter is, if you're weighing up, well, is the, is the entire judiciary system broken or should Sam Burgess not have pulled that dude's hair? I know which one I think is the easiest thing to fix. Exactly. Exactly. And I think the fact that he's doing this, this brain snap crap a little bit too often these days is showing that there's something wrong with the way he plays the game now and he needs to address it. Otherwise, he's going to keep getting targeted like this because he's going to keep doing it. He's going to keep getting penalised for it. He's going to keep getting points for it. He's going to keep getting fined for it. He's going to keep getting suspended for it. And the only one who can fix it, Sam, is yourself. Yeah, and like I want him to. You just, the best thing thing a a football player can do and the, the true greats of the game have been able to do is they've been reliable, you know. You know, they they don't do this crap. They turn up every week. They're not injury-prone and stuff. That's that's when a player is really, really good. That's when a coach can rely on these players. And, you know, if you're Wayne Bennett and you're looking at some of the things that some of these South players have been, and I'm not just picking on South, but, I'm, like, they've got a problem there because Wayne Bennett has had to shuffle his side so much for some really silly stuff this season that players have been suspended for. Mm-hmm. And it's still going on. Like, he must, if he had hair, he'd pull it out. Maybe he could get <laughs> Sam to do it. <laughs> uh, look, I think, yeah, in the end, uh, any player that needs to resort to crap like hair pulling, eye gouging, uh, you know, hands on the face around the eyes, cannonball tackles, wrestling holes like chicken wings and shit like that. Um, I don't think players realise that these only need to go a tiny bit wrong. And you could be doing some pretty serious damage to someone. And a classic example of that, and I know it sounds extreme, but it's the tackle on Alex McKinnon. Mm. That's not the first time that tackle ever happened. It's happened countless times before. Tackles like that, similar to that. Tackles worse than that. Well, see, I, I think and, that there's a lot of these things that you can push the boundaries, but when, as you push the boundaries, your margin of uh, your margin of error decreases substantially. And as you say, it doesn't take much at all for things to go really, really wrong. Um, I personally think that the Alex McKinnon thing, and this is a whole different thing, you know, yeah. I, I personally think that that was just a really terrible accident. I don't think that that happened because of any 
sort of pushing of boundaries or anything. I just think it was a really, really terrible accident. That, that's my point, though, is that that, that sort of tackle has happened plenty of times before. And mm. it only needs to go a tiny bit wrong and bang, okay. plays, plays in a wheelchair. Yeah. And well, that's the point, is the that, you, that if, if Hudson Young or George Burgess or Josh McGuire had to put their finger into a little bit more pressure or in a slightly different location or move their hand in a slightly different way, and we're talking millimetres here, mm. who knows what damage you're doing to someone's eye? And that's what I'm getting at is this is why this crap doesn't need to exist anymore. That's why we've got to start cracking down on this this really grubby stuff. Don't sus- don't just give fines for it anymore. We need to start dishing out proper suspensions. You don't well, need to be doing this stuff. Well, the perfect example is when a player gets horizontal or towards horizontal in a tackle, and it takes, you know, a player can have control have control of the attacker, have control, and then it's just gone, you know, and it can be gone for because. The, another play comes into the tackle. It can be gone because a player is just a, a bit of a f- different shape and they lose control of the momentum, you know, or the pivot point, you know, the, the center of gravity has changed, you know, it might be different. It's very different for all sorts of players. So, and, and they go, can go from being okay to being very wrong very quickly. So, yeah, it's, you know, and that's why you want to try and get the players playing the game as safely as possible. It's never going to be 100% safe safe because it is a collision sport. And the best way to be safe when you're playing rugby league is to sit and watch from the stands. You know, if you don't want to get hurt, if you don't want anything bad to happen, the only way to do it is to not play the game. Um, You know, but you try and lessen the impact of things going wrong by trying to cut things out of the game. And, you know, eye gouge. You haven't hands into the face, even. Just yeah, silly. There's no need, for, there's need, no need for it. Yeah, and not at all. No. So it's. I'll get to a thing. Okay, there's there's a few people who came up with some ideas on how to deal with stuff like hair pulling and hands on the face and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of well, hands on the face, I'd say hands on around the head, not so much the face, but hands on the head because that's not needed either. Mm-hmm. Right, so back of the head, holding the head down to the ground, that sort of stuff. It's just grubby shit. You don't need it. Um, but for, for things like that, scrap the fine system completely and just say, look, if someone's found guilty of that, like Sam was, just send them off. The hair pulling. Was he. Did they call that up during the game, though, or was that found after the game by the match review committee? He was, oh, was he put on report? He was I can't penalized. Remember. I think he was penalized for it. Okay, I, I, I seriously can't remember. I, yeah, because I can't either. The, the only thing I'd, I can say about that is that sometimes these things don't get picked up until they hit the match review committee. Well, that's know? true and, too. And that, that's, so that, some of them are going to go get missed. They're just going to be missed, yeah. um, which is, is interesting. I, I don't know if I've told this on the podcast. I saw, and I don't know what come of it, I'm very sorry, but a couple of weeks ago I saw what looked to be a a um, biting allegation in a Canterbury Cup game. And what happened was the referee blew, blew everything up. And we because we don't have a feed from the referee at that level, we weren't really sure what was going on. And he called the players over and he had a look at one player's ear. And then they had the ground... Um, who was it? The ground... What did they call it? The match well, official, the overall oh, match yes. official, come over, 
took a picture of it, went off, um, and they, they played on because that was something the referee couldn't make a determination on himself in the moment. And they left that to the, to the match review committee and the judiciary. Now I, I'm really sorry. I don't know what happened because I, I just didn't see that, but, uh, but yeah, it was interesting to see what happens when there's no cameras there because this wasn't a game that was televised. Um, and the process worked really, really smoothly. But there's going to be some instances where the referee just cannot make a determination on the field and they have to leave it to the match review committee. So I feel as though that's a bit of a, an issue with that sort of idea. That's... I, I actually like that process, to be honest. Yes, that was so just was like fun. very thorough. We're going to stop the game because this is serious. Mm-hmm. Stop the game. We're going to take photos because we don't have anything else. So they're very thorough with it. I, I like the way they went through that. And it was, you know what? It didn't take very long at all. Um, the game was stopped. The the allegation, I guess, was taken. And look, it was just all seen it from, from the uh, commentary box. But... Uh, it it worked really, really well. The process was very good. And because the referee couldn't determine that himself in the moment, he left it to the match review committee and it was literally play on, you know, yeah. for, as you know, everyone got back in, in, in line and they played on from that moment. Yeah. I mean, that, that all seems very sensible and straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. So, yeah. Little ratey tonight. Yeah. I, I tell you one of the things I think, right? Yeah. If there is a tripping incident, if there is a obvious like and, and sometimes it's a reaction, you know, it's just a human reaction. Um, I don't think we see very often these days a player really properly chip tripping another player and it's that sort of uh cynical thing. But it's still a very dangerous act. I mean, I saw somebody, and I can't remember who it was, saying, oh, tripping's never hurt a player. It's like, you can break a leg really easy. Really, yeah, really easy. I will say that uh wasn't quite a trip, but there there was a story back in, in rugby union days, back in 1905, 06. It was mm-hmm. part of the whole thing about setting, you know, how rugby league came to be with, you know, injuries and stuff like that, where two players were kicking for a ball at the same time. They both kicked each other in the shin and both of them snapped their legs. Horrific incident. Both went to hospital. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, don't don't say that uh, sticking your leg out isn't going to cause any injury. If they hit you in the in the in the right spot in a weak part in your shin or something like that, and they hit it with enough force, yeah, you could end up with two broken legs very easily. Yeah, and like, I think that when I, I I would go back to if it looks like that a player has put their foot out like that. I don't know problems with a send off, immediate send off. Um, same. That it, because that's so dangerous, and this game is tough enough without having to worry that someone's going to kick their leg out at you and you might break your leg. You know, it's um, that's one of those instances where. And I don't like the video ref coming in, becoming involved in stuff. But if a referee sees something, and he says to if he says to the ref, video ref, "What do we got here?" and the video ref says, "That's a trip, man." I've got no problems with the play being sent off for that. Yeah, likewise. And look, there's this other thing too, and I, I, I do understand the the reason why it is the way it is, and that is, you know, 
if, if someone's done some illegal act and they need to be either sin-binned or sent off, then you need to do it straight away. Mm-hmm. But surely if there's a serious incident which a referee may have missed because God knows what's gone on, maybe some incident happened mm-hmm. and there, there was a change in play and someone took off down the field. The referees can't follow two things at once. Yeah. I've got. I I think there should be some sort of leeway where even if it takes two or three minutes to to verify it, the bunker just says, "Look, this bloke's done a, a really bad act. I think you need to send him to the sin bin." I just don't see why that should be such an issue. I see, think in I, the end we need to make sure that there's clean players playing the game, and if it means we've got to, it means we've got to wait one or two minutes, and it should only be a short period of time. It shouldn't be like five or ten minutes later. It should be within two minutes. Or you know, ninety seconds or something like that. So not too much of the game's been impacted if if players had to stop for some reason. Yeah, I, you know, I'm very big. If I had my way, we would remove the video referee for everything except grounding calls, um, and, and that would be grounding in goal calls, and that would be the only reason we would have the video ref involved. Um, I feel as though unofficially that there I wouldn't be shocked if you had a quiet word to referees and said, listen, do you ever get a tip from the from the bunker? And I would almost be shocked if they said, No, we never get tips from the bunker. I feel like if something really bad happens, they get a little word in there, hey, hey, hang on, have a look at have a look at something. You know? Um it wouldn't take much for that to happen. But who knows? You know, I'm not a referee. I don't know if that happens, but well, I'd kind of be shocked if it didn't. I'd imagine, too, most of the time it would be more along the lines of um, keep an eye on this because it's happened a few times in the last few sets for when that team's been on the attack or something like that. Yeah, and look, I think that people underestimate how often the touchies actually are able to have a word to the referee. You know, when you've got the pocket referee, too, that sometimes you hear the pocket referee saying, like, you know, keep an eye on this or that, you know, they've done that three times now or, you know, sometimes you'll hear through their game, uh, through the game microphones, you'll hear like penalty, 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 you know, or forward, forward, forward. Um, they really work as a unit these days, which is really good. And I, I'm always shocked at how much they actually catch. Like when you look at all of the the dynamics that are involved, just run up and down the sideline as a touch judge. Like if you get a, a regular person, even if you get a fit person, and you say just run back and forth, you know, and then I'm going to ask you to tell me if I kick this ball in, you know, 70 minutes from now, if it goes over on one bounce or two and you let me know. I think most people would be surprised that just the fatigue factor and the fact that you're moving and, you know, you might have players that are racing down towards you. You've got to get out the way. It's not easy. No, and it's something I grew to have a, quite an appreciation for when I was doing uh, match reports for the Melbourne Storms reserve grade side back in 2010 mm-hmm. because I was allowed to walk up and down the sideline next to the touchy. Yeah. And, yeah, I was walking because I was writing at the same time. Yep. And it's amazing, even in the, the lower grades, how – switched on they are mm-hmm. um, I, you know what i've i see it doing commentary um with the role i do in the commentary which is the color commentary part i've i've had to realize that you can't just watch the game you've got to look at stuff that's happening in the background and 
because I was finding that you'd watch the game, there'd be stuff that you miss, and you, we're up high, we're in like the best seats in the house, and there would still be stuff you missed. And then I was finding that as time has gone on, I watch, I try and keep more of an eye what's in the background, and to see everything is almost impossible. It is, in fact, it is impossible. It's absolutely impossible. And even from up high, with a great view of everything, um, you know, these, there's a reason why you've got to progress to NRL level. You know, you just don't say, oh, yeah, I'll be a referee, and they work out that you know the rules and you just become an NRL referee. You've got to work your way up and show that you've got, like, great spatial awareness. You have a great feel for the game. You understand the rules inside and out. You can apply different rule changes very quickly. Um, there's all sorts of things that um, an NRL referee has to be able to do and all the skill sets they have in place. On top of being super, super fit individuals, um, I think that their job is is very, very difficult. And I think, to be honest, I think they do a fantastic job for the most part. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's not until you see them in action, you're actually studying them, um, which obviously no one's going to do when they go and pay a ticket to go and watch a game of footy because you're there to watch the footy. But, uh, you know, if you're at home and you're watching two teams play that you're not invested in either way, so finals is a good time now, just pay attention to the referees and try and watch them more often than not and just see how many times they get intricate calls right. Because mm. everyone's got this impression that they're making a lot of mistakes. But just have a look at how many calls they get right and really, really tricky stuff. Such as, I mean, there's a lot we're seeing now where there could be a knock-on where a player juggles the ball into an opposition player and catches it back again. And they're calling those on the spot and they're getting mm. them right. And that stuff is insane because you watch it on the slow-motion replay and it's like, you know, three or four touches here or there in the space of, you know, a second. And I think this season there's been more video referee calls where knowing knowing the rules, right, and knowing how, or, or, you know, the NRL wants the, the tries called and benefit of the doubt and all that. I can't tell you how many times this season I've watched a replay and just been like, well, I'm glad I don't have to call this because I honestly don't know which way I would go. I could go absolutely either way 50-50. And... Whenever that call, them calls are made, it's like, what can you do? You can't argue with it because I, I wouldn't have been able to make that call, you know, right here myself. And, man, there's been so many of the, those calls. So, yeah, it's they do such an incredible job. Oh, they do. They do. Deserve, they deserve a lot of recognition. Um, I'd, actually, I'd actually go one step further. The players get the Dallium Awards every night. How come you don't get the referees getting an award on the same night? They've got to have their own private awards night somewhere quiet, not televised anywhere and not mentioned anywhere. It's almost like there's some hated class of humans that no one's allowed to know about. And they've got to give themselves a pat on the back. I think the NRL should say, you know what, we should have a Referee of the Year award and it should be awarded uh, at the Dallium. See, I feel as though, and this goes to the referees, I feel as though that's the way they want it. Like, they're not there yeah, to be... They probably do, but... They're not there for attention and stuff. They're there because they love the game, and this is their opportunity I'm, to be involved in the game. And, and, and you know, they're... I mean, they're experts. They It's a chance to apply their expertise and the rules onto the game. And I, I feel as though 
the vast majority of referees that have ever refereed the games, if you said to them, do you want more recognition or less? Because you can have either one. I feel as though the vast majority would say, give me way, way, way less. I want to be invisible because that's my, if I'm doing my job perfectly, no one's thinking about me. And if they said to them, would you like more support or less? <laughs> oh, yeah, they, I mean, they would love, they would love to have the support. They'd love to get rid of the PowerPoint presentation. I can tell you that. Yeah. I think there's a lot the NRL can do to, to recognize them and, and give them honor. See, this is the thing is, I, I take your point and fully agree with you, okay, about referees not wanting to be in the spotlight, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I completely agree on that front. I just think that they need to be treated as important to the game as the players are because they actually are. Yeah. And this is the thing that I didn't mention at the time, but something I've been stewing on for a while, and that is how come we have Hall of Fame stuff for journalists, mm. Hall of Famers for administrators and players, but not one referee is allowed to be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I feel as though, like, the mentality change, there has to be a mentality change to people really accepting that that referees are legitimately the world's expert on rugby league rules. Like, there is nobody that is better than them. Yeah. And applying those rules and applying, not just the textbook side of it, applying them to real-life game situations. And I think that, when people start to look at it in that sense, they will appreciate what referees do way more than they do now. Um, because I, I just, I feel sorry for our referees. They love this sport and they deserve so much better. And, you know, some of the things we've seen over the last few years with the way that people have targeted referees has been, it's been very sad. And, and yeah, it's been disgraceful. It really has. It's, because, look, I've, you know, the first published article I ever wrote was about a referee. Mm-hmm. And it was um, about the first referee, Ted Hooper, refereeing the first game in 1908, round 1908. He's also the only referee to referee two games back-to-back on the same day. When I say back-to-back, he finished one game, and then 10 minutes later, the second game started, and he refereed that game. Jeez. <laughs> right. He then went on to become... Um, an administrator, and he became the a team manager for the New South Wales side when they decided to go on a few tours over to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. He became a um, life member of the New South Wales Rugby League. And then, I like, wonder if uh, if the fact that someone like Keith Holman, who who had a glorious career, and I'm going to say should definitely be in the conversation for immortal status, probably never will, I wonder if it's the fact that he spent much of his career as a referee is part of the reason why he doesn't get put into that status. You never hear of him being mentioned. And You know, the other thing it does is it makes you think about the place that referees held in that they were, they were in. They were, part, they were as much part of the game as the players. You know, they were rugby league people. And I feel as though people don't understand that they're still rugby league people. Like they're, they're as much rugby league people as anybody else in the entire world. Right. Uh, it, because it's a thankless job. You only do it if you love the game, absolutely love the game. And 
I wonder if in the effort to make sure that our referees are seen as completely unconnected to anything in the game so that their integrity is unquestionable, I wonder if we've, and I I say we, I, I talk about the game's administrators and people with good intentions. I wonder if they've been put on an, a, too much of an island to protect their integrity, which their integrity is great anyway, but I, I wonder if they've been put too much on an island so that they're not considered the insiders that they really should be. Because rugby league referees should still be able to t- turn into administrators and you know they should still be able to get those jobs in the game because they know the game better than anyone else. Yeah, look, some of them have got those roles, but not often, and very rare, very few and far between. Yeah. Um, I think one is involved with the Newcastle Rugby League. That's about it that I know of, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd just like to see them, you know, even if it's post-career, getting better recognition. When, when a referee retires, for example... Mention when a referee gets retired. Give him some sort of award on Daily M night. If you don't want to give him, you know, if, if and I agree with your sentiment that maybe they just don't want to have a best referee of the year thing. That's that's fair enough. I can understand that. Um, but give them a plaque or something like that when they've retired to say thank you. Like, surely yeah. that's not something that they would be opposed to. And it's something that the NRL could do on the night when the when the game is celebrating all the good that's gone on for the year. The referees never get thanked on those nights. Yeah, and have the players present it. Don't make it exactly you know, the CEO or something. Make it make it a moment where it's like, yeah, this is us acknowledging you guys who are on the field with us as well. Yes. And you not know, because and not Cameron all... Smith. <laughs> we we can't have the refs boss given the referees the award. Had to the put referee. the joke in. Yeah, he goes up and they say, thank you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, I I know what you mean, but it it would be nice to see that it's some sort of camaraderie there. And look, it's going to be a little bit difficult because you've got a lot of, I mean, rugby league is played by, you know, men that are between the ages of about like 18 and say 35 in general at at NRL level. And referees generally are a, a little bit, of a, an older uh, generation of, of players. They're not that much older, but they they are a bit older than players. So there's going to be that. But yeah, I'd like to see, I'd like to see the referees embraced a bit more and, and really appreciated a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all, I'm all on board with that. Um, do you think we'll need to talk about the referees again in a future episode? Have we covered it off here? Between I, this and the other ones? <laughs> I th- I think we'll be talking about referees within the next 48 hours. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, and I would love to not be talking about referees again, but, man, I think we'll be talking about them real soon. Well, look, we, we have to say that we are in the media because podcasts are media. So we're now in the media, and referees, we'll, we'll happily have you back. Any Yeah, definitely, 100%. I support them. Love talking to them. Um, they're great people, and, you know, we need them. They're an integral part of the game. Yep. 
And it's about time that people started respecting them and giving them a bit more credit for the work they do instead of whinging all the time about them. Yep, definitely, 100%. Well, that's an entertaining episode out of the way. Very ranty, very intense. (laughs) So um, we might wrap it up, eh? What do you reckon? Yeah, I reckon this uh, this has been a good episode. Um, Yeah, and uh, punt high and follow on.